0: Welcome to the Soda Social podcast series. This is episode 11. Our aim is to empower and bring together a diverse community that represents the digital world. We strive to innovate, educate, and inspire future leaders of technology. Soda Social is our pioneering, innovative networking platform created to bring together digital experts for networking and knowledge sharing. It allows us and you to engage with us and our digital world in a relaxed, informative and light-hearted way. I'm your host and chair, Luciao Mendez. I am a recruitment consultant who specializes in placing NLP, natural language processing, machine learning engineers and researchers across SMEs in Germany. I'm joined today by Duigu Altenoch a senior NLP engineer with 12 years of experience in almost all areas of NLP, including search engine technology, speech recognition, text analytics, and conversational AI. She has authored several publications in NLP at conferences such as LREC and CLNLP. She also enjoys working for open-source projects and is a contributor of Spacey Library. Dugu earned her undergraduate degree in computer engineering from METU Ankara in 2010 and later earned her master's degree in mathematics from Bilkent University Ankara in 2012. She spent two years at University of Bonn for her PhD studies, And she's currently a senior engineer at DeepGram with a focus on speech recognition. Originally from Istanbul, Duigu currently resides in Berlin with her cute dog, Adele. Hey Duigu, hi, so good to connect with you and welcome to Girl Code.
1: Uh, Thank you very much, Lushil. I am happy to be here also. tell me a little bit
0: about uh yeah what is your expertise what do you specialize in Diego
1: my specialization is called natural language processing so basically we process language and speech so what we do is that we would like to extract some information from written texts such as internet documents web pages uh, also some uh, text generated by customers as well as some speech sources, such as YouTube videos, as such as this recording. <laughs> so what we do is that we would like to understand what is written in the text and what is spoken in the speech by computational methods. Fascinating. So that is uh, so teaching
0: machines to basically speak in in the way humans speak and understand
1: language the way humans speak. Uh, yes, exactly. So we would like machines to understand the language as much as we do, as much as human brain. Also we would like machines to understand the speech wave and turn into some meaningful representation such as our brain. So we would like to just mimic what our brain does to spoken language and written language.
0: And what do you what are the use cases
1: of uh, NLP? Actually, there are huge use cases that we every day use. First, very big usage, which continues over a decade, maybe two decades now, is search, web search. Google search, Baidu search, Microsoft Bing, and Yahoo search were just very successful examples that we reach information. Uh, you go ahead to the search engine, write your query to the search bar, and then ta-ta, you got a lot of documents. That you can discover. So, this is a very, very, very successful use case, and search engines work at very big scales. Another uh, use case I know, and also people now uh, use very widely, is speech recognition, such as in Google Assistant, such as in navigation devices, that now it and also um, Alexa Home. Alexa Echo, also Alexa products, speech recognition now got into our houses and everyday lives. And there is one more case, which is called TTS, text-to-speech, which is one of our areas also to produce human speech from written text, such as just uh, mate voice reads the text to you. Also used very much currently uh, in navigation systems, also robot vacuums, that you can hear your robots speaking. <laughs> so TTS is another case as well.
0: Wow, so we have been using NLP really in our homes through Alexa or even like Siri, for example. Um, and this is the technology that is powering these devices. That's fascinating. Um, and what's your role within NLP? What do you actually do?
1: Okay, I do a lot of things actually. So. There are several cases of NLP happens in several layers. So first of all, every language has its rules and some set of attributes. We want to maybe process them. And that is called computational linguistics. Actually, you would like to understand the linguistics structure of the language. That is one area. And second area is building statistical models. So basically, you feed your training data to a statistical model and you design some statistical algorithm, mostly neural networks, and do the training. And another um, part is preparing data, gathering data for training your system, labeling it, it, make it into a structured data resource. So actually, there are many jobs to do here, many, many tasks, um, I take my part in actually uh, processing the language to understand the linguistic structures, and I also design statistical algorithms. So actually, every day I do two tasks.
0: That's super interesting. I mean, this is words. So how does the statistics come into the picture?
1: Okay, I know it just sounds very exotic that actually the way brain understands language is statistical oh, that is true actually when you question yourself how did you learn your mother tongue when you were a kid you didn't know how to write you didn't know how to read how do you learn your language is that you heard it from your mother from your family and from your surroundings actually so how kids learn is actually statistically, you hear some words over and over. First, you learn the simple words, correct, such as mama, papa, etc. And then after discovering the simple words, kids' brain just discovered more complicated words, which are more common words of the language. So when a kid reaches at the age of five or six, the kid knows a a uh, very common vocabulary of the spoken language, but not all words. For instance, maybe they know how to say a meal, food, some animal names, cat, dog, weather, rain, sun, but most probably they don't know the terms of economy and medicine. And this is also how what happens in neural networks that, first of all, algorithms usually discover the context of the words which words are used in which contexts. And another thing is that algorithms might not, might like to understand the uh, most common words, most common vocabulary of this task. For instance, if you are understanding medical speech, your vocabulary most probably consisting of medical terms, not economical terms, then your algorithm would want to focus on those terms. What do they mean? How do they relate to each other? So and how we do is, uh, how we achieve this effect is called neuron networks, which actually look like brain cells and very, very inspired from brain that every neuron network has some computational units called neurons, and they are connected to each other, just like brain. And after the computation, and also we layer them on top of each other, just like brain, as you learn, you do some connections in your brain and you add some connections on top of each other. It is just like that. If you want, um, if you have an easier task, you make a shallow deep neural network, but if you have a really complicated task, most probably you would like to make a deep neural network with many layers. So this is how we achieve it. Super cool.
0: So the brain is a huge inspiration for machine learning, for NLP, artificial intelligence and so the machines that they are built are built on well I suppose uh mimicking the brain cells which is super cool And you know I've come across this term Duygu, uh called transformers uh, in this field. What are transformers Could you give us some example?
1: Yes sure actually transformers are statistical algorithms to ex answering to a certain need so. The very basics of our task is how to represent a word in terms of a vector and how to represent a sentence maybe in terms of a uh, in terms of a single vector as well. So if you again go to your brain if i say a word to you for instance freedom something comes to your mind immediately. You have a maybe image in your brain or just something appears in your brain. So just think of it as a vector, a representation, something numeric. So we want to calculate one, one vector for each word in our sentence that we want to process. Earlier days, there were word vectors, which processes words into vectors by looking at the surrounding words and transformers just carry that one step ahead. So a transformer takes a sentence and look at each word of the sentence And then also look at the context, that what this sentence means, and then produce a vector for each word. So it actually generates dynamic, uh, it generates a vector dynamically, looking at the text for each word. So it's actually um, brutally a way of computing, (laughs) as I said, vectors, but in a very huge scale. So transformers, usually we use pre-trained ones pre-trained by Google and Facebook AI, and they are trained on huge sources of text, such as uh, gazettes and wiki on the internet and other resources. So they actually know a lot of things about the language and a lot of things about the word, a lot of things about spoken and written language. So this way, you also benefit from the knowledge of this algorithm that was trained before.
0: Interesting. And um, how important is the knowledge of the language in this whole mix?
1: Uh, That's a good question. So again, think yourself as an algorithm. And let's say you don't know anything. You start with a cold cache and I tell you three words. Bill Clinton. Okay, I will say more words, five words. (laughs) Bill Clinton left the White House. I tell you those words, and let's say you are a blank algorithm. What would you think if you don't know anything about the language or Bill Clinton? Most probably nothing, because you don't know this guy. You don't know where the White House is. You don't know this person. So also you don't know if this person is a politician. So it sounds like some random guy left some random place. But then... If you know about the language, first of all, you know "living" is a verb, and if you know English sentences, that subjects come, then verb, then the object. So, subject of this sentence is Bill Clinton, verb is "living," and the object is White House. First of all, you understand some action happened, and then coming to the semantics. After looking at the language level, you know Bill Clinton is a politician. And White House is a organization placed in USA. Then you now have a meaning. Then you have two representations of this sentence. One is a syntactic level that some person committed some action at some place, and second one is a semantical representation. A politician left his duty. Well, I love that example. Thank you so much for sharing. But yeah,
0: you you know you put that into context very beautifully. Um, And what's your background, like what brought you into the field uh, of NLP? What got you interested here?
1: Okay, that's a good question. When I answered it, that it happened sort of naturally and maybe randomly nobody believes it. (laughs) Actually, this profession came to me. So uh, I was 20 years old and at uh, third year of my college. And I was looking for an internship. But before that, I was really interested in cognitive science. And I also, my major is computer science. And there was um, another institute called cognitive science. And I took some classes from there and really, really liked it very much. So looking for an internship, I saw an opening in a search engine. And I applied. They liked me. I liked them. So I started working there actually. But at that time, I didn't know how fortunate and lucky I was, because search engine technology was done at really, really few places, maybe Google, maybe Yahoo search, and this local startup of startup of ours. Then I got become interested. This was my first job as working at a search engine. And I was calculating some vectors, actually, for some documents. Oh, my God.
0: That's so lucky for you to have a search engine company right next to your home where people have to kind of relocate and, you know, try and find this needle in haystack situation. But uh, you you had it right on your threshold. That's super cool.
1: Yes, actually. I That time it looked like okay to me. But now when I look back, I see how fortunate I was.
0: For sure, for sure. Um, and uh, you must have encountered uh, you know, challenges on this path. What have been some of the main major learns in this situation?
1: Okay, first of all, I would say real challenges. Human language is really challenging. It's not easy at all. I mean, I don't know any problem we solved easily, really. Every problem is so challenging. Everything is so difficult. <laughs> so when you do tasks on daily basis, it is uh, very po- possible that you have to put your lot of your attention and at the end of the day, you are very tired from focusing for long hours. That's definitely one thing. The, I think this is the major challenge. This task is very difficult. Second of all, not now maybe in the old days, finding an employment was a challenge also. Actually, when machine learning was not this cool, it was sort of um, requires some effort to find a good workplace, but that's not a challenge anymore, actually, which is good for everyone. Uh, and third of all, it's the techno- um, general technology. So in order to work on a large scale, you need, one, needed to, uh, one needs to have an improved technology and supported computational power. So you need computers which can compute very efficiently and very fast. So this is also good. I think it's a challenge going through a very good direction because every day computation power just increases. So at the old days when I was an intern, uh, the computational resources I was reaching was limited, but now it's limitless. Usually, most companies, you have very big servers that you can work on, huge memory, huge RAM. It's not a problem at all.
0: Got it. So, um, you know, the technology has evolved, even though this area is very difficult. So you've mentioned that, you know, NLP is teaching language to a machine is a super challenging thing to do. What keeps you motivated? How do you keep yourself interested in this field?
1: Okay, I will give a very basic answer, which is I like it. I enjoy it. And (laughs) that is the main reason, actually. I enjoy what I do. I think not only machine learning, but other jobs also. If you don't enjoy, you have no motivation to carry on, certainly. And second one is that that way your efforts reach somewhere. And when you complete a task, you are really proud because you managed a very hard task. And that point is really really priceless. That is also another motivation source for me and my colleagues.
0: Absolutely. Finding those difficult and challenging situations, overcoming them is a huge dopamine hit, right? Um, So that can, can definitely help. And you mentioned, you know, you like it. This is definitely something that you're super passionate about. Now, how, how would you suggest, how would you um, advise uh, people uh, out there who are exploring their careers, who are exploring what to study, how would you suggest that they find their passion?
1: Okay. Um, first of all, I think it's good to explore different areas if you are not sure. When I was young, my family wanted me to study medicine, actually. Both my parents are healthcare professionals, and I just didn't want it. It was not for me. Here, sometimes, you know yourself. You cannot do this profession. Maybe you can do this profession. So it's good to uh, make the search space smaller. What do you want to do? Then you have a list full of options. And after that, you will have more career options also. If you do development, there is Android development, iOS development, backend, frontend, machine learning, this, that. A lot of options. So I suggest them just to explore. Maybe small internships, maybe some open source projects, or they can even try some doing small projects on their own and just put it to the GitHub and look if they enjoy If they enjoy, they enjoy. If they don't enjoy, most probably there is no point of pushing it. And at that time, they have some ideas what they like, what they don't like, and then they follow their passion.
0: Great advice. So experiment, try your hand in different things. See what you like, and then if you do really like something, then really develop yourself in that field. Fascinating. Um, and what would you say you're excited about in the field of NLP?
1: Okay, actually, it's an exciting career in general. You never know what future brings. Sometimes a research colleague comes with, comes up with a very exotic algorithm and idea, and they say, look, I produced it, and everyone is so surprised (laughs) that happens. But my two cents for the future is speech and conversational AI, actually. So I think that future where you see the robots chatting to people, understanding their needs, maybe robot server or robot nurse is not very far away future. I think it will happen soon. So... For NLP, as I said, it is speech. But looking at the four general machine learning, I think it will be robotics. We will see robots in the next seasons, I think.
0: And you're a published author. How did you end up writing a book?
1: Ah, oh, thank you. I forgot about it. <laughs> I forget just I am an author, though I don't feel like an author. So that happened um, in the flow also. So a publishing house approached me and they say, Look, we want to have this book. And I thought you might be a good writer. Do you want to write it? And that was the time of quarantine, actually. Very first time that this corona craziness started, and I was sitting home all, all the day. I thought, okay, instead of sitting bored, maybe I can do it, do this. Why not? So I told them, OK, I'll give it a try. And they asked me to write an outline for the book. I wrote, while writing down the outline, I noticed that I have some material to write, actually. actually. So I thought, OK, I can do it. I submitted the outline. They liked it. And it looks like a reasonable outline to me. I started writing. That's
0: so cool. Way to go for utilizing your time in the quarantine in the, in the best possible way. Wow, a book published. And uh, as an author, what books are you yourself inspired by um, that you read?
1: Okay, so there is a book that I am inspired very, very much, which is Speech and Language Processing by Jurafsky. It's a very t- classical book. Everyone should read And I think everyone read already. That's always a huge inspiration to me. I love that book. And second one is about neural networks from uh, In Goodfellow, which I really liked. Third place in my heart is shared by many books, actually. (laughs) Recently, I purchased some books about transformers, also transfer learning, a couple of CPH books. Actually, there are very good books out there. Just you need to spend some time and spot them.
0: I'll put all of those links in the show notes. Perfect. So, thank you so much. This has been a fascinating discussion, Dugo. Learned so much from you. And yeah, looking forward to uh, your work and and seeing what else you can uh, bring to the surface as well. Thank you so much for inspiring us today.
1: Thank you very much for your time as well. I really enjoyed recording this podcast.
0: Thanks again to Duigo on an amazing episode discussing natural language AI. Soda Social is part of Trust in Soda. We're a global digital and tech recruitment agency specializing in data, design, DevOps, marketing and sales, product management, software engineering. Reach out to find out more on our website www.trustinsoda.com together we can create a people-friendly planet and promote equality but for now stay connected and we will speak soon